We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. You cannot begin to imagine in how many ways the world is the opposite of what you have been taught to believe. You see the guy who sells drugs to willing customers so he can feed his family as the scum of the earth, while you see the hypocrite who gives away stolen money in the name of government as a saint. You see the guy who tries to avoid being robbed by the federal thugs as a crook and a tax cheat. But see as virtuous the politician who gives away the same stolen loot to people to whom it does not belong. You see the cop as a good guy when he drags a man away from his friends and family and throws him in prison for 10 years for smoking a leaf. And you see anyone who defends himself from such barbaric fascism as the lowest form of life, a cop killer. In reality, most drug dealers are more virtuous than any government social worker. And prostitutes have far less to be ashamed of than political whores because they trade only with what is rightfully theirs and only with those who want to trade with them. The upstanding, church-going, law-abiding, tax-paying citizen who votes Democrat or Republican is far more despicable and a bigger threat to humanity than the most promiscuous, lazy, drug-snorting hippie. Why? Because the hippie is willing to let others be free. And the voter is not. The damage done to society by bad habits and loose morality is nothing compared to the damage done to society by the self-righteous violence committed in the name of the state. You imagine yourselves to be charitable and tolerant when you are nothing of the sort. Even the Nazis had table manners and proper etiquette when they weren't killing people. You think you're good people because you say please and thank you? You think sitting in that big building on Sunday makes you noble and righteous? The difference between you and a common thief is that the thief has the honesty to commit the crime himself while you whine for government to do your stealing for you. The difference between you and the street thug is that the thug is open about the violence he commits while you let others forcibly control your neighbors on your behalf. You advocate theft, harassment, assault, and even murder, but accept no responsibility for doing so. You old folks want the government to steal from your kids so you can get your monthly check. You parents want all your neighbors to be robbed to pay for your kids' schooling. You all vote for whichever crook promises to steal money from other people to pay for what you want. You demand that those people who engage in behaviors you don't approve of be dragged off and locked up, but feel no guilt for the countless lives your whims have destroyed. You even call the government thugs your representatives, and yet you never take responsibility for the evil they commit. You proudly support the troops as they kill whomever the liars in D.C. tell them to kill, and you feel good about it. 
You call yourselves Christians or Jews or claim to follow some other religion. But the truth is what you call your religion is empty window dressing. What you truly worship, the God you really bow to, what you really believe in is the state. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Unless you can do it by way of government, then it's just fine, isn't it? If you call it taxation and war, it stops being a sin, right? After all, it was only your God that said you shouldn't steal and murder, but the state said it was okay. It's pretty obvious which one outranks the other in your minds. Despite all the churches, synagogues, and mosques we see around us, this nation has one God and only one God, and that God is called government. Jesus taught nonviolence and told you to love your neighbor, but the state encourages you to vote for people who will use the violence of government to butt into every aspect of everyone else's life. Which do you believe? To those about to stone a woman who had committed adultery, Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. But the state says it's perfectly fine to lock someone up if they do something you find distasteful, such as prostitution. Which do you believe? The Christian God says, thou shalt not covet, but coveting is the lifeblood of the beast that is the state. You are taught to resent, despise, and hate anyone who has anything you don't have. You clamor for the state to tear other people down, steal their property, and give it to you. And you call that fairness. The Bible calls it coveting and stealing. You are not Christians. You are not Jews. You are not Muslims. And you certainly aren't atheists. You all have the same God, and its name is government. You're all members of the most evil, insane, destructive cult in history. If there ever was a devil, the state is it. And you worship it with all your heart and soul. You pray to it to solve every problem, to satisfy all your needs, to smite your enemies and to shower its blessings upon you. You worship what Nietzsche called the coldest of all cold monsters and you hate those of us who don't. To you, the greatest sin is disobeying your God, breaking the law, you call it. As if anyone could possibly have any moral obligation to obey the arbitrary commands and demands of the corrupt, lying, delusional megalomaniacs who infest this despicable town. Even your ministers, priests, and rabbis, more often than not, are traitors to their own religions, teaching that the commands of human authority should supersede adherence to the laws of the gods they say they believe in. Several years ago, I heard one pompous evangelical jackass in particular pontificating on the radio that anyone who disobeys the civil authority, be it a king or any other government, is engaging in rebellion against God. Those were the exact words he used. What if the government is doing something wrong? Well, this salesman for Satan opined, that is the business of those in government, and you are still obligated to obey. Everywhere you turn, be it the state or the church, the media or the schools, you are taught one thing above all else, the virtue of subjugating yourselves to mortals who claim to have the right to rule you. It is sickening the reverence with which you speak of the liars and thieves whose feet are so firmly planted on your necks. You call the congressmen and the judges honorable and you swoon at the magnificence of the grandiose halls they inhabit, the temples they built to celebrate the domination of mankind. 
You feel pride at being able to say you once shook a senator's hand or saw the president in person. Ah, yes, the grand deity himself, his royal highness, the president of the United States of America. You speak the title as if you're referring to God Almighty. The vocabulary has changed a bit, but your mindset is no different from that of the groveling peasants of old who bowed low, faces in the dirt, with a feeling of unworthiness and humility when in the presence of whatever narcissist had declared himself to be their rightful lord and master. The truth of the matter, back then and today, is that these parasites who call themselves leaders are not superior beings. They are not great men and women. They are not honorable. They're not even average. The people who earn an honest living, from sophisticated millionaire entrepreneurs to illiterate day laborers doing the most menial tasks you can imagine, those people deserve your respect. Those people you should treat with courtesy and civility. But the frauds who claim the right to rule you and demand your subservience and obedience, they deserve only your scorn and contempt. Those who seek so-called high office are the lowest of the low. They may dress better, have larger vocabularies, and do a better job of planning out and executing their schemes, but they are no better than pickpockets, muggers, and carjackers. In fact, they are worse, because they don't want to rob you of just your possessions. They want to rob you of your very humanity, deprive you of your free will, by slowly leeching away your ability to think, to judge, to act, reducing you to slaves in both body and mind. And still you persist in calling them leaders. Leaders? Where is it that you think you're going exactly that would require you to have a leader? If you just live your own life and mind your own damn business, exercising your own talents, pursuing your own dreams, striving to be what you believe you should be, what possible use would you have for a leader? Do you ever actually think about the words that you hear, the words that you repeat? You parrot oxymoronic terms such as the leader of the free world. Even pretending for a moment that there is some huge journey or some giant battle that everyone in the entire nation is undertaking together that would require a leader, why would you ever think, even for a moment, that the crooks that infest this town are the sort of people you should listen to or emulate or follow anywhere? Somewhere inside your mostly dormant brains, you know full well that politicians are all corrupt liars and thieves, opportunistic con men, exploiters and fear mongers. You know all this. And yet you still speak as if you are the ones who are the stupid, vicious animals, while the politicians are the great, wise role models, teachers and leaders, without whom civilization could not exist. You think these crooks are the ones who make civilization possible? What belief could be more absurd? Yet when they do their pseudo-religious rituals, deciding how to control you this week, you still call it law and continue to treat their arbitrary demands as if they were moral decrees from the gods that no decent person would ever consider disobeying. You have become so thoroughly indoctrinated into the cult of state worship that you are truly shocked when the occasional sane person states the bleeding obvious. The mere fact that the political crooks wrote something down and declared their threats to be law 
does not mean that any human being anywhere has the slightest moral obligation to obey. Every moment of every day, in every location and every situation, you have a moral obligation to do what you deem to be right, not what some delusional bloated windbag says is legal. And that requires you to first determine right and wrong for yourself, a responsibility you spend much time and effort trying to dodge. You proclaim how proud you are to be law-abiding citizens and express your utter contempt for anyone who considers himself above your so-called laws. Laws that are nothing more than the selfish whims of tyrants and thieves. The word crime once meant an act harmful to another person. Now it means disobedience to any one of the myriad of arbitrary commands coming from a parasitical criminal class. To you, the term crime is nearly synonymous with the word sin, implying that the ones whose commands are being disobeyed must be something akin to gods, when in truth they are more akin to leeches. The very phrase, taking the law into your own hands, perfectly expresses what a sacrilege it is in your eyes for a mere human being to take upon himself the responsibility to judge right from wrong and to act accordingly instead of doing what you do, unthinkingly obeying whatever capricious commands this cesspool of maggots spews forth. You glorify this criminal class as lawmakers and believe that no one is lower than a lawbreaker, someone who would dare disobey the politicians. Likewise, you speak with pious reverence of law enforcers, those who forcibly impose the politicians' every whim upon the rest of us. When the state uses violence, you imagine it to be inherently righteous and just, and if anyone resists, they are, in your eyes, contemptible lowlifes, lawless terrorist criminals. Like the lawless terrorist criminals who helped slaves escape the plantations. <coughs> like the lawless terrorist criminals who helped Jews escape the killing machine of the Third Reich. Like the lawless terrorist criminals who were crushed to death under the tanks of the red Chinese government in Tiananmen Square. Like all the lawless terrorist criminals in history who had the courage to disobey the never-ending stream of tyrants and oppressors who have called their violence authority and law. And that includes the lawless terrorist criminals who founded this country. Everything you think you know is upside down, backwards, and inside out. But what has to take the cake, the height of your insanity, is the fact that you view as violent terrorists the only people on the planet who oppose the initiation of violence against their fellow men. Anarchists, voluntarists, and libertarians. We use violence only to defend ourselves against someone who initiates violence against us. We use it for nothing else. Meanwhile, your belief system is completely schizophrenic and self-contradictory. On the one hand, you teach the young slaves that violence is never the answer. Yet out of the other side of your mouths, you advocate that everyone and everything, everywhere and at all times be controlled, monitored, taxed and regulated through the force of government. In short, you are teaching your children that the masters may use violence whenever they please, but the slave should never resist. 
You indoctrinate your children into a life of unthinking, helpless subservience. You are putting the chains around their little necks and fastening the locks tight. And worst of all, you feel good about it. Out of one side of your mouths, you condemn the evils of fascism and socialism and lament the injustices of the regimes of Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. While out of the other side of your mouths, you preach exactly what they did. The worship of the collective, the subjugation of every individual to that evil insanity that wears the deceptive label, the common good. You babble on and on about diversity and open-mindedness and then beg your masters to regulate and control every aspect of everyone's lives, creating a giant herd of unthinking conformist drones. You wear different clothes and have different hairstyles and you think that makes you different. Yet all your minds are enslaved to the same club of masters and controllers. You think what they tell you to think and do what they tell you to do while imagining yourselves to be progressive, thinking, and enlightened. From your position of relative comfort and safety, you now condemn the evils of other lands and other times while turning a blind eye to the injustices happening right in front of you. You tell yourself that had you lived in those other places, in those other times, you would have been among those who stood up against oppression and defended the downtrodden. But that is a lie. You would have been right there with the rest of the flock of well-trained sheep, loudly demanding that the slaves be beaten, that the witches be burned, that the nonconformists and rebels be destroyed. How do I know this? Because that is exactly what you are doing today. Today's injustices and oppressions are fashionable and popular, and those who resist them, you tell yourselves, are just malcontents and freaks, people whose rights don't matter, people who deserve to be crushed under the boot of authority. Isn't that right? You bunch of spineless, unthinking hypocrites, look in the mirror. Take a good look at what you imagine to be righteous and kind. You are the devil's plaything. The crowds of thousands wildly applauding the speeches of Adolf Hitler, that was you. The mob demanding that Jesus Christ be nailed to the cross, that was you. The white invaders who celebrated the wholesale slaughter of those godless redskins, that was you. The throngs filling the Colosseum, applauding as the Christians were fed to the lions, that was you. Throughout history, the perpetual suffering and injustice occurring on an incomprehensible scale, it was all because of people just like you. The well-trained, thoroughly indoctrinated conformists, the people who do as they're told, who proudly bow to their masters, who follow the crowd, Believing what everyone else believes and thinking whatever authority tells them to think, that is you. And your ignorance is not because the truth is not available to you. There have been radicals preaching it for thousands of years. No, you are ignorant because you shun the truth with all your heart and soul. You close your eyes and run away when a hint of reality lands in front of you. You condemn as extremists and fringe kooks those who try to show you the chains you wear because you don't want to be free. You don't even want to be human. Responsibility and reality scare the hell out of you so you cling tightly to your own enslavement and lash out at any who seek to free you from it. 
When someone opens the door to your cage, you cower back in the corner and yell, close it, close it. Well, some of us are finished with trying to save you. We've wasted enough effort trying to convince you that you should be free. All you ever do is spout back what your masters have taught you, that being free only leads to chaos and destruction, while being obedient and subservient leads to peace and prosperity. There are none so blind as those who will not see. And you, you nation of sheep, would rather die than see the truth. Hi and welcome to Behind the Headlines on Salt Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn and my co-hosts this week are Neil Bradley. Hi everyone. And Juliana Barenboim. Hello. Uh, that was a alternative introduction to this week's uh, show. Um, it was by a guy called Larkin Rose uh, from a couple of years ago actually. And it's from a book he wrote. It's him speaking uh, the words of the text from his book. Um not to say that we agree with everything that he said, but we thought it was a fairly powerful um, speech with a lot of truth in it and a lot of stuff that uh, a lot of people need to hear, whether or not it makes any difference to them. It's uh, it's something that a lot of people should hear at least once in their lives uh, in some form or other. So how are all our devil's playthings feeling this evening? I hope you're all feeling very devilish. Um, yeah, well, that speech was kind of okay. People claim that a few people on the chat have already been saying that it's um, anarchy, basically anarchical, uh, that it's um, proposing no government whatsoever, uh, and that that's not maybe the best thing. But um, you don't understand. You can understand why someone would say that. Someone who truly understood the nature of government today at this point in our in our kind of civilization or evolution, how some people would look at what we have today and say, government is fundamentally evil and corrupt if this is what government is, and let's just get rid of it completely, you know. Um, so it doesn't propose alternative uh, ideas, really. It just says tear the system down and um, and and doesn't propose a, a replacement um, because I suppose one of the points of disagreement we would have would be that some kind of a system is necessary because people need it. People do need a hierarchy in their lives. Um, it's a fundamental need for a, a lot of people. I think maybe pretty much for everybody. Um, so on that point, yeah. But in general, it was a very good speech. Yeah, and I like that it's it's like V says in V Vendetta. Okay, so we're going to lay the blame where it belongs. Mm-hmm. on the door of this government. Mm-hmm. But truth be told, you need only look into a mirror if you're looking for not the blame, but the source mm-hmm. where all this begins and ends with you. Yeah. Or, you know, the source of the, the possibility for change has to come from ordinary people because ordinary people are the ones who are facilitating uh, a system under which they live. You know, if there's some control in their lives over them, then they acquiesce in that control and uh, allow it to 
to exist in its in whatever format it takes, you know. So yeah, I'll, by definition, it's it's a responsibility of of the collective of humanity, essentially. Yeah, I read like the parallels he made with the church and God worshiping and all that. I mean, I would only have a, a one point about that is that you know, it's not precisely bad that people need to believe in something higher than themselves. Is that once again it's corrupt, whether it's the church or the government. But if, say, they would work, they were to worship truth and honor it with the same um, uh, passion that they do, law enforcement, uh, the police, the, the, um, the state god, then things would be better. Same with a better social system, uh, a better government. So his parallels were really good. He's comparing a corrupt church with a corrupt government, but it's not to say that you have to throw everything uh, away. No, where black and white needs to be treated with a bit of caution is that there's a, nevertheless a dynamic in history. It's not as simple as oppressors and oppressed all, all the time because there's a dynamic running through history where there are people who reach for power because they understand the world and they see it more or less as it is. And they understand that their role is to keep the predators at bay. And they may not use those terms that they are predators or as we use the term today. Clinically, they're psychopaths. But there is this dynamic where, oh, it could be in medieval era, it could be far more recently, where a leader reaches for power and he does so because he understands that the nobles or the oligarchs would otherwise have it and abuse it. So the state per se being bad, well, it's like the church. Well, the Catholic church deserves to be bashed, of course. But then along comes an individual, a person who seems to be, he, so far he seems to be all right. The current pope, he certainly said some things that are, I find to be, Pretty impressive. I think that's your uh, Catholic background getting the better of you there, Neil. Yeah, not don't get likely. me started on the Pope. <laughs> not don't, even, don't even get started on him. Seriously, that, that uh, yeah, the Pope is uh, clearly just there to impression manage, basically, and keep the faithful uh, kind of in line. You know, I mean, he he says a lot and does nothing, basically. So. And the, he, the guy's talking about world peace as he's meeting Netanyahu. Yeah. Come on. I mean, well, Putin has to meet Netanyahu too. No, but I mean, there's meetings and meetings. This guy was like shaking hands and say, "Oh yeah, you should, you should, you know, just have a discussion with the Palestinians. Everything will be all right." The, the problem with the Pope is that he presents himself as someone who has any power and influence, and he has no power and influence. Uh, if he does have power and influence, he's not using it clearly because nothing's changing. We don't see him actually. Uh, he's faded and uh, allotted by you know the leaders of the evil empire essentially and uh, no one has a bad word to say about him and uh, and that's been the case for every pope the pope is just a figurehead and he's there as a as the head of the catholic church to keep the keep the faithful in line to keep uh, religion uh, you know on the on the bill type of thing on the uh, on the menu uh, and you know not let all those catholics kind of wander away and, and become disenchanted disenchanted with the, with the catholic church and i think that was needed they figured the the Vatican hierarchy decided that was needed after um, Ratzinger. Uh, you know, he didn't go down well with a lot of people, and particularly because of the uh, over the past ten years or more, um, the child abuse scandals, etc. 
uh, a lot of people had been had walked away from the Catholic Church because of that. People who still had some uh, ounce of uh, kind of conscience walked away from it. So I think, uh, uh, from, at least from a you know the way the world works kind of thing, from that standpoint, um, uh, what's his name, the Pope. Francis. France, Francis. France, Francisco was brought in to uh, to give people hope. He's kind of like an Obama, basically after a Bush. You know, he was Obama after after Bush. Uh, the hope and uh, the new beginnings, and this is a new a new pope. And what you know, he does nothing uh, except just throw out lots of nice sounding platitudes, and you know, we should all live happily and peaceful. And so th- there's two options. He has power, but he doesn't actually use it. He doesn't say anything. Uh, he doesn't expose the truth. He doesn't stand up really for the poor. He doesn't do anything to change the lot of the poor as he supposedly should be. Uh, and uh, if anything, he plays it down a lot of the times. Yeah, like with pedophilia and stuff. So, He's like, oh no, nothing. Well, yeah, so if he does have power, he doesn't use it. The world as it is, billion people do listen to him. So when he says austerity measures are evil, pretty much in those words, uh, what's that going to do to those people? Not a lot. They're going to believe it. Yeah, but. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but he's so vague. In what, I mean, with that power, you could do a lot. You could say a lot. Yeah, I mean, compare him. Compare what what Putin says to what uh, Francis says, you know, what the Pope says. Uh, there's just no real comparison. Like I said, it's kind of platitudes, and it's all in line with, you know, feed the poor, you know, and, you know, the kind of, uh, the Catholic kind of dogma, essentially, of, you know, um as an example, you know, he took, charity, when he talked about Palestine and, and Israel, he said, the war must stop. You two should stop going to war together. Excuse me, when was ever a war between yeah, Israel and exactly. Palestine? You see what I mean? Yeah. He, he, He's talking to millions of people and he can't call it what it is, yeah, a genocide. He, he reinforces the, he reinforces the, the, you know, the narrative of, of, of that was espoused by the West. So, you know, but that's, you know, I would maybe, he has power in the sense he has reach and stuff, so he obviously doesn't really speak truth in the way that he could if he was had any kind of conscience or any awareness. And um, but, but I see what but, you're saying. I mean, he's not doing as much harm as others in what he's saying, but actually, you know, I don't know. I wonder sometimes because somebody who has so much influence to say something like that, isn't that what's going to stick in people's mind? Oh, you mean about Israel and Palestine? Yeah, for example, yeah. or, you know, pedophile. Yeah, we're, we're just, you know, we're taking care of it. Don't worry. It's only 2% of the priests in the world. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, don't get me started in the Catholic <laughs> Church. We'll see. I, I suspect something's going to come up in the next year or so where he gets himself into real hot water. Because, well, maybe not. Maybe it'll just be for show. Of, um, I don't know. But the point I was trying to make was that um, when you have a dysfunctional, decrepit institution, yes, that's what it is. See it for what it is. I think occasionally within that you get somebody who comes into it who understands that. That. The, the biggest and clearest example is, is Putin. I mean, he rises to the ranks, takes over Russia, or takes over, in quotes. He, he does it very peaceably and very fairly. And I'm sure he does it with a lot of 
No, I wouldn't say immoral acts, but I'm sure there's a use of force where needed. He, he would have, he would have been acting with his, you know, using his conscience. But if somebody with a conscience in quotes out on the streets seeing it and not understanding all the background dynamics would call it out as, well, that's that's terrible. That's immoral. That's authoritarian. You know. Um. Anyway, so yeah, this week behind the headlines. So the big news this week is this Goram torture, torture. It's torturous listening to people talking about the torture report because it's like, hello, that was ten years ago. But of course, part of the reason why it's out now is because this report was only kind of commissioned in 2009 by Dan Feinstein and other U.S. senators. Uh, apparently, part of the reason why we're only hearing in 2014 is because John Kerry saw to it that it was it would be delayed. Of course, John Kerry's just a bag man, which means that other people behind him wanted it put off for as long as possible. Um, nevertheless, you have... We have some new details, maybe, of some of the things that went on. Obviously, the reports are very, while it's got, you know, very graphic descriptions of what was done to people, it's going to be a pretty clean report in the sense of the scale of it. I mean, they're talking about 119 people held in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I, I doubt it's just 119 and we think of the global scale of the operation. Well, that, well, that's not even the official figure. I mean, everybody knows that there was at least 600 people in Guantanamo Bay. So why, why they come out with 119 uh, doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're already bullshitting the public there because mm-hmm. there were 600 people mm-hmm. in Guantanamo Bay and the vast majority of them by the U.S. government's own admission uh, were not guilty of anything. No. They had no evidence that any of them were guilty, almost. No. And then if you count all the other prisons, Abu Ghraib, etc., I mean, you're talking thousands. The whole thing is kind of, uh, is really, <clears throat> is ridiculous. It, it stinks of a kind of a, a setup of manipulation, you know. Of course, the U.S. government's going through its process, but someone at some point um, made this decision, let's have a, let's have an investigation and a report on torture. Like, I mean, they've had reports, investigations, Senate, uh, congressional investigations on, on various different things over the past 50, 60 years. And they've all been limited hangouts. They've all, you know, a lot of it's been censored. A lot of it, uh, obviously, even the people investigating it aren't given the full information for national security reasons. Or if they are given information, they willingly agree not to reveal all of uh, what happened. So you can... Um, assume automatically that this is only a really a small part of what actually happened. But the impression is that it comes out at this particular time. Of course, it was in process. They didn't predict it, let's say, five years ago, knowing what would happen today. Uh, but it, it's quite um, useful that it's released now um, in the sense that it distracts, uh, in one sense, distracts away from all of the protests going on about police brutality in the U.S. And it also provides a a veneer or the impression of there being checks and balances, of there still being some kind of rule of law almost uh, governing the CIA, and the CIA uh, is still held accountable, etc., which is not true at all. I mean, <laughs> they just simply, the way they get away with being, with, without being held accountable is to have politicians uh, 
produce these kind of reports that, you know, essentially whitewash what really happened and expose, you know, a little bit of what what went on. Um, and that's, for me, that's, that's what it's all about, you know. Yeah. Well, I also kind of have a theory. It may sound too, cons- like, a, too much of a conspiracy theory, but I was looking at the famous, you know, who benefits kind of question, you know, I mean, who's really benefiting from this? The people, obviously not. Uh, the CIA, nothing's going to happen. Um, and and then I started looking into this um, senator, Diana Feinstein. Fe- Feinstein. Feinstein, you say, okay. And then, first of all, if you look at her CV, uh, just on Wikipedia, you see that um, some of her uh, jobs, as in, for example, chairwoman of the United States Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, the person who preceded her was Jay Rockefeller. And then for the, uh, now she's chairman of the International Narcotics Control Committee, blah, committee, blah, 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 preceded by Joe Biden. So already there you have like iffy names, evil people you know, it's not an honest job. Second, she should be retired. She's like 80 something. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you start looking at her career or things she says. She voted for the extension of the Patriot Act. Um, apparently her husband or she was involved into some financial scam, giving her husband information. He was a corporate guy or one of the, her three husbands. Uh, she was the one who pushed for the um, weapons ban. When was that? 2013, I think. Which weapons ban? The the last campaign for a weapon prohibited yeah. citizens from having. Uh, oh yeah, okay. Um, and then she defended the NSA a lot. And when the NSA scandal came about, and she, you know, she was all like, "Well, Snowden is a CIA agent," which you know, is not too impossible in my opinion. Um. There was also some revelation as to how the NSA was uh, sending all their files to Israel. So here you have a pro-Zionist who has overtly said, you know, CIA, evil, I hate you. Uh, Actually, she said they they were violating the Fourth Amendment because the CIA was spying on the NSA. This is a woman who's defending spying on everyone, you know. Um, then she she spoke against freedom of speech, and this kind of pissed me off because we're an alternative uh, news website. And she was the one saying that basically, to summarize the law that she wanted to pass, it would be uh, the definition of a journalist is that they have to be working for one of the main mainstream uh, agencies. And uh, and here's the list. And if they're not in these in this approved list, then they can call be called bloggers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it works in France. Yeah, yeah. So she she basically wanted, but but journalists or alternative journalists complained because obviously you know where's freedom of speech in America then, you know. So there was that. Then she spilled the beans about uh, how the Mossad leader was visiting uh, U.S. officials, and apparently that you know that's a kind of a secret Mossad. Chief is not advertising his trips everywhere. So when you see, and there, there's a lot more if you look her up, when you see those little things, you're like, you know, um, is this even legitimate? Some people are even doubting that the um, uh, the source of the the reports, I mean, I, I'm not, obviously what the report says is probably true, but really watered down. 
another journalist uh, uh, backing this idea was saying that it's kind of strange that in a report there's no mention of the White House or the FBI being involved. It's almost as if they were trying to target um, the CIA only. And then there's mention of how several uh, countries uh, collaborated or helped the U.S., 25 of which were European, but no names given and stuff. So it's like... Well, it's well that they were named. Yeah, it's well known. Were named. It's well known which countries. All Western European countries except Norway and France were involved. Mm-hmm. They but, were named. Uh-huh. As being... As, as either having a black site, which or, was really just Poland and Bulgaria, Romania, or... Participating. Mm-hmm. Allowing flights in for people being rendered. Or apprehending. Tortured midair. Apprehending people and then passing them over to the CIA, which is what happened with the quite a few people just mm. uh, you know the local police would go and get them and then uh, hand them over but Dan, fin- Dan Feinstein is kind of she's, she's been there quite a long time and she's fairly well known she's not uh, she's not a serious person like most of them you know what I mean she's uh, she's not a uh, most of the senators and congress people they're not serious people they're 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 bullshitters really I mean yeah. she, she back in um, a few years ago when um, <coughs> the short-lived uh, CAA chief John Brennan was having his uh, kind of approval hearing, whatever. She um, engaged in this very sycophantic kind of um, uh, questioning of him uh, over, um, it was specifically about the about drone strikes and the, the president's ability to authorize uh, the murder of, or the execution of American citizens. And she asked him questions, quote-unquote, which basically contained the answers to the questions. So it was real softballing question of John Brennan um, about the drone strike that killed uh, Anwar al-Awlaki. Um, so she was essentially making it easy or facilitating uh, the, the incoming CIA director to kind of sanction and agree with her own opinion, which was that drone strikes were cool and you're allowed to kill American citizens if they're terrorists. And she named off all the um, supposed links between Anwar al-Awlaki, who was killed by a drone strike, an American citizen uh, in Yemen, uh, the links between him and various other, like the underwear bomber and various other uh, supposed uh, terrorist attacks that were all staged by the FBI. So it was complete farce, really. You know, and she engaged in this farce that was like I said, rubber stamping or giving the green light to the murder of American citizens uh, <laughs> by the president via drones. So to have her come out and uh, pretend that she is kind of overseeing or being playing a part in this uh, holding to account of the CIA over torture of terrorists, which she, you know, and also people who are innocent, let's say, which she admits, um, it's just, well, it's farcical, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a pang of conscience. That's suddenly making yeah. her. No, no, there's no, there's no conscience involved in this at all. They're they, just say they're not serious people. They they are in the respect that they're career politicians. So everything is calculated. The insertion, I, they, they they go over the insertion of phrases or the removal of this sentence or this paragraph based on a background trade for my constituency or I will be back on this. You know, you you. Help me out later on on this other issue. Conscience doesn't play a part. Nevertheless, um, for whatever reasons, this is as good a full disclosure as you'll get in the United States. 
And we can talk afterwards about why they're doing it, but we should point out clearly here, this is probably the most dynamite thing the U.S. has admitted to in 40-odd years. Like, as Feinstein said in a conclusion, it's simple. I, I mean, this, 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 this presents it in black and white to Americans. The use of brutal interrogation techniques is in violation of U.S. law. This hasn't actually been stated yet in the last 15 years. It's in violation of U.S. laws, our treaty obligations, international law, and our values, i.e. we, your leaders, officially on paper are telling you we consider it to be wrong. And this is the official line on it. So I think it's, it's, something's going on for sure because they've spent the last 15 years making sure they've got 300 million Americans to the point where they're morally ambiguous about how they feel about it through 24 and all this background programming. Oh, well, what if it's your kid that's kidnapped and you, you need to get the ticking time bomb data that would just change everything? They've already proven that they don't actually get any useful information. And this was also stated in this report. We don't get anything from it. Nevertheless, they did go on the record as saying, not only was it useless to us, we are officially, we're just using words, it's not that we feel this through our own conscience, but we recognize that this is morally wrong. Yeah, but I'm going from the premise that they'll reveal the truth only when it suits right. one purpose okay. to them. And and the conspiracy part, I don't know, Joe, you wrote a book about it, so maybe it you, makes, can, it you makes, can think it's stupid, but was... Um, the Israeli lobby lobby in the U.S. sending a little message there saying, we have stuff on you, or am I just inventing a theory? I mean, well, because look, of the people who are involved, that's the first thing I thought about, like a little bit of a all, subtle blackmail. They are all in the pay of the Israel lobby at her level. You don't get to be the chairperson of a Senate committee without having been approved in some respect. It's just like you don't get to be a Democratic um Democratic Party candidate unless you've first been to Israel and been approved. Physically, you've got to go over and visit. So that that's There's, a given for all of them. See? Yeah, I don't think it really... I mean, Israeli lobby is everywhere and has their nose in everything, so I don't know if there's a, there's blackmail going on all the time, so that's a given. I don't know if this has anything to do with it. My take on this is that... And just By the way, when I say that they're not serious people, what I mean is that uh, like when someone stands up to speak and 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 is assuming or is uh, assuming to themselves the idea that they have some authority or that what or that what they're saying has some weight. Uh, that's a serious person, you know. That's an, if if they can be taken that way seriously. Someone who stands up and is totally uh, discredited uh, has no uh, real authority and has no uh, validity uh, because of who they are. That's not a serious person. Someone who stands up and says, "I'm going to tell you what's happening or what's going on." Uh, if Ronald McDonald got up and said that, you would say that's not a serious person. He's not a serious person. Well, for me, Dan, Dan Feinstein and every almost every other senator and congressperson is not a serious person because when they stand up, they lie all the time. They're fundamentally discredited and corrupt individuals. So when they stand up to speak with authority, they have no credibility, and it's not serious. I don't take anything they say seriously. And just on the, on the point that that it's <clears throat> kind of like stating officially that this is morally wrong. That's kind of like saying, uh, kind of like a torturer or someone who's, you know, into mutilating other human beings, kind of saying, you know, uh, we 
kind of come to a decision. We've done a lot of soul searching here, and we've come to a decision that amongst all the things that we do to human bodies, you know, like when we're torturing them, we think that gouging the eyes out is morally wrong. You know, cutting off fingers and noses and genitals and stuff like that, that's okay. But gouging the eyes out, we shouldn't yeah. do that. That's what this equates to effectively. Yeah. Uh, so from, and, and I mean, to, to send that message to the American people, for that to be needed to, send, to be sent to the American people, supposedly, hey, torturing people's bad. Well, you know, it's game over. That's, I mean, this is, it's beyond a farce at this point that someone has to stand up and say, you know, torture's wrong. We have sudden, and she stands up and says, we have suddenly found out after that, much consideration, that torture five years. doesn't extract any useful information. No shit, lady. That's been known for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You are full of it. Completely and utterly full of it. That is every word she said, which is complete and utter bullshit. There's truth in there. Sure, she's saying that we torture people. Well, you know what? Everybody knew that. On the, the day after September 11th, that George Bush said, when they were discussing what they were going to do, and he, not the day after, but in the weeks after 9-11, when they were discussing their plan for their imperial adventures around the world and how they were going to get information and, you know, justify the invasion of other countries and stuff, uh, the White House lawyers came in and said, well, we have some problems here, but the whole torture aspect about extracting information, Bush, you know, on the orders of Dick Cheney probably, said, um, I don't care what the international lawyers say. We're going to kick some ass right after 9-11. What he meant by we're going to kick some asses, we're going to torture some folks, right? Some folks got tortured. So uh, this is 2001. Uh, this has been ongoing and has been a conscious policy, and they've flouted and manipulated and twisted laws and recreate, uh, essentially reinvented law to justify torture from 2001 onwards. And Dan Feinstein comes along in 2014 and says, you know, we figured some things out. Give me a break, you know. Get the hell out of here. That's ridiculous, you know. Um, she claims that uh, the Bush White House didn't know about it. Oh. Or at least at the extent of it until like well, that's 2006. Maybe, that's maybe true. They turned a blind eye to it because the Bush, the White House and the U.S. government uh, really has nothing to do with the running of the country, especially in the sense of uh, in terms of foreign policy, but also in domestic policy, but particularly in foreign policy. The, the White House has nothing to do with uh, foreign policy. It does not formulate it. It does not run it. It does not know what's going on. That is all in the domain of the CIA and the intelligence agencies. has been for decades. There is a secret government, uh, and your first protocol for the secret government is the intelligence agencies, who are a law unto themselves yeah. and have been for a long time. So this whole thing is a complete and utter charade, you know, and how you can actually, you know, how you can talk to people, how you expect to talk to the American people about uh, torture, and the context in which it happened, when those people have absolutely no objective reference point from which to understand the, that context. They, the, they're, they're in Moo land. They're in pink, fluffy bunny rabbits and unicorn land as far as what has actually happened and the context in which this happened. I mean, it's all presented as, you know, you talk to anybody, uh, even Feinstein, you know, kind of muddied the waters a little bit and the rest, everybody who's commented on it, in particular on uh, in the media, which is where Americans get the real information from, every segment on this torture debate has been about, well, it was in the context of 9-11. We were attacked on 9-11. Yeah, it, it, we, we were scared and we wanted to defend the country against 
you know, further attacks. We wanted to protect the American people and we went a bit far with this whole torture thing. And that's all a fantasy, a complete and utter fantasy. But that is the context from which people are trying to understand this. So they may as well, you know, it should be a cartoon. You know, they're all in cartoon character land, you know, where it's just all completely made up. And it, it's, you just give up like and walk away. There's no point in trying to talk to those people. They're, yeah. It's fantasy. Yeah, I knew something was up when the, the, Every media outlet, that's CNN, NBC, ABC, their lead-in to it was, dun, 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 the world is braced for the torture report that's coming out today. It's not expected to be pretty. As if, as if shock, this is going to be big news. <laughs> the whole world's going, oh, give us a break. You know, we, we, we know about it. I'm sure most Americans also at least have some intimation. Now, not to contradict what you just said, they, they are... A, Completely, not completely, not as divorced from reality as most of their leaders, but um, the, the, the point here is that torture was used and sanctioned as a way to extract bogus evidence from innocent people that would bolster or justify the war on terror narrative. That there are terrorists out there planning attacks against America. When there are no terrorists out there planning any viable attacks against America, how do you justify it to the American people? In days gone by, in the old days of empire, uh, this is when before the information age, the British Empire could rampage around the world and torture and kill and maim and enslave millions of people. And people back at home didn't know about it because all they got was the daily broadsheet written by a, a government journalist. That's what they knew about it, uh, which was nothing. Because of the information age, when there's a free, the possibility for a free flow of information or the free exchange of information, not that it's the truth, but with the internet, etc., and the mass media and telecommunications, it was not possible for the new American empire to carry on that tradition of uh, plundering and pillaging around the world without, uh, well, they couldn't do it in secret like they could in the past because of the information age. So what they needed was a narrative to justify uh, that kind of a global conquest. And they needed that narrative to justify justify that to the American people. So they came up with the terrorism threat, the global terrorism threat. But they realized pretty quickly that they needed some evidence for that fake narrative of a global terror threat. So they figured, well, let's go out, find some folks, torture them, because we know very well that when you torture people, what you get is what the person, uh, you get from the person that you torture what you want them to say. So you go, you pick some guy off the street in some country, uh, render him, kidnap him and put him into a, a torture facility and start torturing him and start off and say, okay, you know, uh, are you planning some kind of a terrorist attack? No. Okay, so you torture him some more, and then you ask him again, you go, are you planning some kind of terrorist attack against America? Uh, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, if you'll stop torturing me, yes, I am. We got some evidence here, folks. You know, let's bring this back, put it on Fox News, and we feed it around to the American people, and they all, and American people, and the American military, and the American generals, etc., and, and the politicians, all then support uh, further war on terror, which is just uh, an excuse for uh, military corporate conquest of the world. 
that's that's what's going on. That's and they know very well that that's how you get bogus information. You go and torture it out of someone when you want to create a fake reality to justify your your imperial aggression. You, you torture people and get them to confirm that that's what's actually happening. And they knew they were doing that, and that was a deliberate policy. I, I think there was another purpose, um, maybe not planned initially, but they found great use for it. There were at least two occasions I can think of where Guantanamo detainees ended up uh, leading, in one case, an al-Qaeda in Yemen terrorist unit, and in the other case, a rebel group in Libya, he's now in Syria. So there's an element of we're going to torture you to death if we have to, or you're going to work for us. Hmm. Yeah. yeah it was kind of a recruiting ground of sorts because the, that's just two that come to mind, but there were others as well who turned up. I mean, if you want to understand, the, if you want some hard evidence that the war on terror, what I just said is true, look at the all of the FBI terrorist things. So this is at home, you know. The CIA operates abroad and is involved with foreign Islamic terrorism against the U.S. The FBI takes control of domestic terrorism, Islamic terrorism, Muslim terrorism against uh, the U.S. So they play their part at home in bolstering this bogus bullshit narrative of the war on terror. And pretty much anybody who has read a little bit, bit about it, and it's also all over the mainstream media at this point, that the FBI has, over the past, 10 years engaged in hundreds of plots, terror sting plots, where they come up with the terror plot. They find the, you know, low IQ, poor, marginalized individuals who are extremely uh, impressionable to, they go and convince them, find them and convince them that they want to be involved in this plot by offering them lots of money uh, and, and, you know, kind of masking what they're really doing. It's, the FBI, through one of their uh, one of their informants, will go and pose as an Al Qaeda operative, offer this guy or these guys a bunch of money and guns, and talk what it, say whatever they need to say to get them to agree to be part of an Al Qaeda terrorist organization, and then they duly arrest the people, take them to court, and announce it all around the U.S. as Muslim terror plot exposed by the FBI. We're keeping the country safe. Safe now. Anybody who reads that can't but conclude that that is done deliberately. The FBI knows that they are deliberately entrapping people who have posed no threat whatsoever, have no intention of being Muslim terrorists, and they manufacture them and then trumpet it in the media to justify and bolster the bogus war on terror. So if the FBI is doing that at home, you can bet your ass that the CIA are doing exactly the same thing abroad. And what the CIA does abroad is that it tortures people. Instead of at home where they get these susceptible people and manipulate them into signing an Al-Qaeda oath, what the CIA does abroad is it just picks people off the street, tortures them into admitting to being part of a terror plot against the U.S. It's exactly the same thing. So the fact that we have this evidence from the FBI is, for me, a slam dunk that that's exactly uh, what this is all about. That's when the CIA just used different tactics, tactics because the CIA has a long history of torturing people. But here's the thing. I have a question here because... Um uh, apparently, one of the things the report says it uh, talks about Mohammed. Uh, how do you pronounce it in English? Atta. Or? Atta. Atta. Um, and basically, kind of proving Neil's point earlier on, it's the official. It's an official admission that the excuse to invade Iraq was false. He hadn't gone to Prague in to, in April. I think it was 2001. I mean, there was no real proof linking him to the. Uh, 
to the attacks and stuff. So there's that thing where, yeah, they're kind of admitting that it was a an iffy excuse to go to Iraq. And at the same time, wasn't it pretty much at the same time that Israel started bombing Syria? The same time as this report was released? No, they've, they've bombed it. Israel's bombed Syria about four or five times in the last three years. Yeah, but most recently. Uh, about a week ago. About sure. a week ago. And this report came about a week ago. I don't know. Maybe it's like Bush would say, let's not entertain, uh, what is it? Outrageous conspiracy theories. Conspiracy yeah. theories. But there's like a, you know, it's kind of like you talked about in 9-11, the ultimate truth, those little games that they can play amongst themselves, you know. I'll, I'll reveal this about you, so you better shut up about what we're uh, I, doing. I tell you what, you, I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> I won't go the whole way to say this is an, a Zionist versus whatever or an intra power play. It, it probably is a power play going on here, but, but who and for what and for what greater purposes? Well, we can speculate and tease it out, but, um, what comes to mind is that the NSA has had it in the neck for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Now the CIA is getting it. Maybe there's a bit of something going on there between two factions. Um, the, the, so some more context. I mean, the, the thing that, the only thing that changed after 9-11 is that they went public with it. They were at pains to let people know via cu- cultural programming like this 24 TV show and via plenty of hints in the media and release of those Abu Ghraib photos that, yes, we're doing this kind of thing. What do you think about it? But the thing is, in the 1980s, U.S. instructors were teaching hundreds of soldiers from Latin American countries how to torture their own people. Torture is ingrained. It's, it's part of the U.S. national security state and has been since at least World War II. There's nothing new to them. It's, it's, what's new is, if you like, the, the kind of overtness of it. Oh, 9-11's happened now. The gloves come off, as Cheney said. So... Um, yeah, the, I think we'll just have to wait and see if, I, the thing is, uh, uh, oh, if, if there's one thing, if Fox News, right, they're harping on about how this is a Democrat conspiracy. Um, I think they could be onto something that this is, um, factional in that sense. This is because it's, this wouldn't directly implicate, at least to the American audience, it wouldn't implicate the current Obama government. It's all about the past. It could be that uh, this is being done now with a view to 2016 elections. You know, the message being, don't vote Republican, they torture people. We don't. Perhaps. Uh, at the same time, I mean, if they really were going for the jugular, um, they would not have been announcing this, the findings in this report, with pictures of the World Trade Center towers collapsing in a loop going on in the background. The message being, uh, yes, we took your freedoms away, 
but it's because we have to safeguard them in case the terrorists come back again to take your freedoms. See? So, it's, it's manipulative and uh, it's, it's really ugly and it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's, while the focus is on the CIA, as someone pointed out in a sort article, um, okay, so they're talking about inmates either in Afghanistan or Guantanamo dying of hypothermia under the care of CIA doctors. Meanwhile, 10 inmates die in a Texas prison from heat stroke. A corrections officer told the New York Times that they had been worried about the inmates boiling to death in their cells for years. Nothing was done about it. So it's, I mean, that's not consciously done, but torture is, is in the nature of people who run the U.S. system. So, yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. Yeah, I think uh, we have to come back to the fact that it's meaningless, you know. It's a completely meaningless. Um, but uh, even even from the point of view, the CIA gets, the CIA doesn't suffer from this. There's no, no negative from this. I mean, nobody should look at this like as, as if this is a serious blow to anybody. What this is, is a coup for the ruling elite in the U.S., which is effectively that... Uh, they're creating the appearance and the impression of checks and balances and we hold people to account and we're still all about freedom and democracy and basic human rights and all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's the propaganda. It's a propaganda tool and nothing else. Um, and for me, it's completely meaningless. Uh, other than that, it's, it's meaningless. Uh, it has no significance for um, you know any kind of a change or an actual holding to account in the U.S. It's... Uh, no, it's kind of like when they, uh, you know, in the past few years, they've been uh, condemning the dictators in South America that he was just mentioning that reminded me of that, you know. I mean, those guys are 90 years old. They're about to die. You made them live in exile in a luxury, luxurious mansion, even though they were CIA puppets for entire dictatorships, and now you're going to condemn them? Give me a break. Yep. It's all... Lord nonsense. Anyway, so justice delayed is justice denied, and yeah. justice has been denied. This don't mis don't mistake this for justice. In the meantime, the largest protests in the U.S. since the civil rights movement are currently on the way. The media won't tell you this, but over a hundred thousand people got on the streets in New York yesterday, uh, which is nice. Good to see. Um, Why? It's a sign of awakening conscience. What what are they doing? They're protesting the police brutality, the police state, in effect, the system. They have their reasons for being there, but of course, it's about as one of the organizers said. In the end, this is about far more than some recent deaths at the hands of police in the U.S. This is the trigger for it, but. This would be the beginning of a mass movement, I think, um, against injustice in the U.S. and as practiced abroad by the U.S. government. Uh, it's not just New York, L.A., 
Washington as well. I think there were there, Chicago, there was, Boston, right? Um, uh, the three of the found the, I think Garner's family, Eric Garner, who was shot by the police in New York. Uh, no, he he died in a chokehold. That's what most people Mike are Brown's. protesting or using Garner as a as a major kind of rallying call, particularly in uh, in New York and uh, on the East Coast, but also across, well, also in Oakland. I mean, he seems to have kind of supplanted the whole Ferguson thing because maybe Garner's uh, death was kind of more clear-cut in the sense that he was, a policeman was using an illegal chokehold on him and he he died as a result. Um, and specifically because he was non-threatening. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, and it's pretty clear-cut, the evidence. From the video. Yeah, there's video, etc., whereas the Ferguson... Uh, the death of uh, Mike Brown was, you know, contested, and there was there was no video evidence of that, you know. And another guy has been killed since. <laughs> An unarmed black man in Phoenix, Arizona, was um, shot dead by a policeman who said that he was well resisting arrest, <clears throat> and that he was worried he was about to, you know, reach for a gun, and it was a bottle of pills. For his condition, or I'm not sure what exactly the pills are for. Uh, a very similar situation to Mike Brown, where the cop is called into the area for an, a totally unrelated call. Apparently, someone called the police and said, "There's an SUV in the neighborhood. I think people inside it might be doing crime." That's the quote that's going around the media. Uh, I've looked into some of the details of it, and uh, what's his name? Just for a reference. The guy, the guy who was killed is Romain Brisbane, married father of three. Um, the police very quickly got their version of events out of the media, and the family of eyewitnesses as well <laughs> said the complete opposite. I think what they've done is rushed again to get their story out, but they said they issued their version of what happened, the, the Phoenix police, um, in the interest of transparency, you know. Which it wasn't. It was to convict him essentially in the court of public law. Uh, it's, it's, he was definitely unarmed, and he was shot after they had had a struggle. Um, it's unclear how they got into a, a physical struggle, but the police officer justified it by saying he was wasn't sure if he was going to reach for a gun. The Phoenix police have defended him, and there has already been a protest in Phoenix with people turning up at the police station demanding to know the name of this officer. So as these things, like, just they just seem to pile one on top of the other, this is going to have a serious momentum behind it. Um, well, the government has kind of committed themselves to a very particular and pointless line, which is to protect individual low-level police officers who have obviously clearly made mistakes while on their job. For no real apparent reason at all. There's actually no reason that they shouldn't throw these guys under the bus and say, yeah, there's a couple of bad apples. We're doing something about it. And everybody would have been quiet. Everyone would have said, okay, yeah, we can understand that. This Darren Wilson character, he was just a bad apple. He had anger issues. He decided to execute some black kid for jaywalking. All right, we understand. But instead, they make this gigantic show of how they're going to protect this guy who mm. is not worth protecting in any real sense. Mm. Same thing for all of these cops that they've been defending. Yeah. It's like they're trying to piss people off. Yeah. They're trying to act like... <laughs> Why not just throw, this, throw a, the average cop to the 
to the wolves type of thing. Because it's not even the average cop, because these cops are obviously making tactical errors. Yeah. And killing these people. There's no need for it. Yeah. So why not just get rid of them? You know, why? What's the whole deal about uh, protecting them to the last man? It's not like there aren't enough of them. So, uh, but I think it's because they have some ridiculous notion that uh, that it would undermine confidence in the police force in general. But, the which more is they wrong. do it, the less exactly. confident people get. Exactly. So they, they're 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 stupid, you know, because it would do the opposite. It would it would um, it would generate or encourage confidence in the police force that if they were to hold people accountable. You know that there is some checks and balances, etc. But so yeah, it's just going nowhere. But maybe that's just maybe the problem here is that it's it's kind of pathology run amok, and there's no uh, yeah, it's just the psychopathic. We won't admit to having one bad apple to have make having made one mistake, and that's making people more and more pissed off. I think it's getting out of control. Actually, if you looked at the um, at the signs that people were, you know. Um, Using during the demonstrations, of, uh, what uh, caught my attention was that instead of so many um, uh, stop killing black people, a reference to black people, which is what the media have been making it all about, it was uh, police brutality must stop, killing must stop, cops leave us alone, cops don't shoot. shoot. Um, there was a lot more of that, apart from the fact that the majority of the demonstrators were white. You know, so it's almost like people are trying to make, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but it's almost like people are trying to make a statement. No, we understand this is not just a, que- a question of mm-hmm. racism. But there's a bigger problem. A couple of weeks back, we, or last week, we suggested that the the rioting and looting in the second wave of Ferguson protests uh, late November were probably started by the police themselves. In order to justify a crackdown and be able to present all protests as uh, as rioters and violent, well, the Berkeley protests, which last week descended into chaos, as the media is saying, um, <laughs> this is reported by the Guardian of London. So it's you know it's uh, I think it's pretty much exposed. Well, I mean, the Guardian article was a little slanted, though. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're picking up off the AP, and it's it's out in the media in the U.S. An undercover California Highway Patrol officer who had infiltrated protests against police violence in Oakland pulled a gun on demonstrators after his and his partner's cover was blown. Earlier in the week, they were observed smashing bank windows in and looting the T-Mobile phone store. In a stunning admission, the California Highway Patrol's Golden Gate Division told the San Francisco Chronicle that officers had been dressing like and walking with protesters since the very first demonstration on 24th November, quote, attempting to gather intelligence to stop highway shutdowns. I think it's more likely that they were the ones getting protesters to block the highways, which you probably notice is happening out there in California. They're trying to get people to, to push them to... Civil, civil disobedience and anything more extreme in order to justify the police. Well, you know, people got to get to work, so we've got to clear the road, so start cracking heads. You're trying to piss off the people who aren't involved in the protests as well and turn them against the protesters. Exactly. So you don't have a- exactly. I mean, it, just to give you a context, in another country, in the UK, we know that <clears throat> 2011 emerged the cops there using the identities of dead children had for the last two decades, since the 1980s, um, infiltrated themselves to become anti-capitalist hippies and they would routinely lead and instigate the most extreme actions at green or environmental protests. 
I've got several reports about this on site. This uh, secret police unit had a list of 9,000, quote, domestic terrorists. And it was the cop's job to kind of basically track them, to sick onto them, literally in some cases. Some of these undercover cops who go to the lengths of forming relationships with some of the organizers of protest movement, get them pregnant, and then rat them out. And some of them would end up going to jail. Others were... Well, they weren't killed, but they were found themselves in situations where they were accidentally killed or in some way uh, discredited publicly. So I have no doubt the same kind of full-on structure is at work here, where the moment something erupts anywhere, they're in there first. Get the violence going. Come on. Get get those um, cocktails burnt and chuck them at police, chuck them in windows, whatever. Yeah, the problem here, First what, what they're trying to do across the board, and this applies to torture that we just discussed as well, is that they're trying, the system itself, the, the authorities are desperately trying to prevent the disclosure, the wide disclosure of just how fundamentally and utterly corrupt and rotten the system is. You know, that's what the torture report was about. It's a limited hangout. That's what, uh, you know, the, these... Uh, Agents provocateurs, uh, protests are about, they're trying to stop a general widespread uh, understanding, kind of catch on around the country of, 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 of an awareness that, um, that the system is fundamentally corrupt, you know. Um, and it's sad, you know, I mean, that, that the fact that they do these things points to that reality. You know, it's the hardest evidence we have for that being a reality, apart from the kind of other little bits and pieces of evidence that point to it, but the, in a general sense, the fact that they desperately try to take these actions to to censor and to disrupt what are fundamentally uh, valid or genuine grievances that the people have. I mean, uh, seriously, you live in a country here where people are out in the streets protesting about police brutality that many people are seeing and that is all over YouTube and that is, there's no question that it's happening. And people are out in the streets peacefully protesting and want to peacefully protest about it and say this is wrong and the system will have none of it. It will, it will, go, it will, to send great, in guys. will go to great lengths to yeah. prevent that message, especially when it's transmitted by that kind of people power, to prevent it from from reaching a, a wider audience, and prevent the media from being forced to report on it somehow, partly objectively, you know, it's bizarre. You know, I mean, what's the problem? The system has to be fundamentally messed up when it won't allow ordinary people to simply stand up for like one of the Ten Commandments, for example. They're kind of marching for one of the Ten Commandments here. You know, a fundamental right and wrong situation that's very blatant. I mean, people will let so much other stuff go, but when it gets down to it, they'll say, "Listen, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be kind of whiners here." But, but can you would, stop killing us? We prefer if the cops wouldn't shoot us out of hand when we're not doing anything. Can we have a little march, maybe, just to express our feeling in that? No, we're going to turn you into terrorists. You know, we're going to. I mean. And just, I'm just looking at the news here. You know, obviously Dick Cheney has to get his... Well, as soon as torture appears in the news, Dick Cheney's right in there. He's like, hmm, I like me a bit of torture, you know? <laughs> I got something to say on that, you know? And Dick Cheney, the headline is, Dick Cheney insists... <sighs> Dick Cheney insists that rectal feeding was for medical reasons, not torture, in defense of the CIA. 
Uh, so he robustly defended the CIA interrogation methods as Republicans and intelligence community attacked the Senate report. But of course, what's not said there is that Dick Cheney, uh, what he didn't say, I think, is he that has he has a rectal feeding fetish. Exactly. He enjoys a bit of rectal feeding himself, and he yeah. can't understand how this could be described as torture when he, when he, you know, he has to wear a diaper and when he has a nurse come in and do it for him every day, you know, yeah. and there's nothing wrong. He can eat through his mouth. No problem. He just likes to get a bit of rectal feeding uh, now and again. Uh, That's... Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus. Did, they, did you clean your plate, Dick? There's children starving in Africa, <laughs> man. What a waste. Who let Dick Cheney in, for God's <laughs> sakes? I was a bit... Uh, I think they got the rectal feeding wrong there. He had, to, had a bit of an emergency. Um, did you hear John McCain saying his bit about torture? What no. was he saying? I, I wish I'd try to get it for the show, but... I couldn't get my program to be, work. He should be disqualified from comment on it from a, from a, because of a conflict of interest. I mean, when, I have inside sources that tell me that when he was in that hole in Vietnam, he was loving it. You know, so he's he's fundamentally biased in the whole torture thing. He was tortured, you know, and he, you know, rats. He just wants to spread there are rats and stuff thrown into his pit in, in Vietnam and stuff, and he he befriended many of them. And well, so. Is he is he representing as if torture is like cool and okay? Yeah, he is said he like, I got tortured. It wasn't so bad. I'm he me. said that the CIA's torture program was quote an act of conscience. Huh? Yeah. Wow. The thing is, wow. I'm suspicious that this whole prisoner of war thing was even. I'm pretty sure that he was like a CIA plant from the beginning type of thing. Like I call into question that he really was there. Really did get captured. It's actually worse because that's the only thing that excuses his mental retardation and you know schizophrenic. I think we have to leave. give it to him. People give, well, people give him give him an out and say you know even Putin said you know yeah you know he, he saw some pretty bad things in Vietnam and he was held in a cage in a, in a hole in the ground yeah. for three years. That would drive anybody mad, you know. Yeah. Kind of excuse him. So I mean he shouldn't be. We you know it's worse you know if it's if it's false because yeah. he has no excuse for his uh, exactly. Well, I'm 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 going to support my particular oh, yeah, idea. I think it's probably true. Yeah, he's trying to be pimped as an American hero, and yeah. you know, I'm not really sure about that. But uh, the rectal feeding thing is—it's just—it seems like such a a rather disgusting and inefficient way to get it done. You know, because we hear about all these Guantanamo Bay people who are being you know forced with feeding tubes. It's like why couldn't they do it that way? You know, I mean, why did they why did they choose the other end? Because that's what when they into. had a choice between the two. Because you have to wonder about the person who chooses the opposite end. We have, pleasure. You have to wonder about the person who puts his hand up to be to to be the you know, the, the hands-on guy in the torture room. You know, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just mean, just I I think there's a strong sadistic element to it because well, Jesus Christ, even even, even, it, even yeah. in the Feinstein, um, you know, some of the details she did share, right. it was very clear that. Well, but the, they were trying to make the association that some of the severe rectal injuries that these guys got was right. as a result of this procedure gone wrong or whatever. Right. No. What's, what's more likely here is that they were sodomizing the hell out of people with anything they could find. Well, yeah. Because yeah, they li- liked it. And then this rectal feeding thing was sort of papered over it as a rationale for it. <laughs> what, these, what these sickos don't understand is that most people, when they hear that, are repulsed. And right. you, your rationale for it is not going to, doesn't. Yeah, I'm going to say that it's probably more along the lines of, of what you basically you just said, that it is, a, it is a narrative to cover up the fact that there are probably a bunch of uh, very, very disturbed 
people there basically, you know, using sodomy as a form of torture. And then they did write that narrative over just just to cover it up. Exactly what you said. This is what I think is true. Yeah. It's just sickening that they would go and analyze it. That was a case of it going wrong. I mean, explain a case what that would be right going going right. right. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> how, do, how does rectal feeding ever go right? <laughs> Um, but the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about the torture report on that particular topic was the fact that, uh, and I think maybe Joe said something about this earlier, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous to countenance things like waterboarding and all these different things that they're doing, but then not do the other stuff. I think that this whole thing about them having uh, this list of things that they were allowed to do, I think it's all complete and total bullshit. And that, no, they were tearing off fingernails and doing all kinds of stuff uh, and, you know, cutting off fingers, killing people left and right. I don't believe that there was only 117 or 100 whatever uh, people in there. I'm sure that it was a larger number and they just died and they don't want to admit to it. And yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a just, ridiculous narrative. It just reminded me that another layer to the farce is that in 2004... The Abu Ghraib photos came out. And do you remember those photos? Yeah. The prisoners were smeared in shit in their own. Yeah. And then the soldiers, the interrogators slash soldiers, guards, whatever, were laughing and joking around. Mm. And, and some of them had, you know, cuts and cigarette burns on them. That was 2004. So all this other stuff sounds relatively cleaner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been washed, but I'm sure that the, the every horrible thing that you can possibly think of ever taking place, flaying, racking, you know, anything like that, emasculation, probably did it all. It's probably so absolutely horrific that they would never be able to uh, to to admit it. Because if what was going on, the way that it was presented, right, the things that she was saying actually happened. Considering the fact that most of them were only slightly off track, like, okay, so they kept him standing for 72 hours instead of so-and-so amount of hours, an extra 23 hours. Oh, how horrific, you know? There's all this is kind of like, oh, it was so horrific. You know, it was okay to waterboard them, but they did it twice a day instead of once a day. So, oh, killer type of, you know, BS type of stuff. It's all slightly out of bounds. Why did they not keep any records of this stuff and what was going on? And why didn't they have any videotapes? Because, I mean, it's such a small deviation from what they're saying was considered to be okay and legitimate in extreme circumstances. I mean, it's complete and total. They would have no destroy all the tapes, keep no records of or any of that. If all they were doing is I waterboarded them a couple more times, but it was an emergency and we really needed this information, which is already BS. But okay, just take that as a given. It doesn't. It's not logical for them to be so unbelievably secretive about it. Destroy all the tapes. Destroy all the evidence for just yeah. a couple of infractions. It's kind of like the serial killer who will confess to one crime. It reminds me of um, a book I read recently about Ted Bundy. You know, and he would he would confess one crime and give a reason. You know, so that the the psychologist or the cop interviewing him would kind of feel sorry for him or say, well. That may explain something. And it was like, yeah, because society, it's society's fault, pornography, this and that, you know, and I was jealous and this girl did this or whatever. And yes, I killed her, I confess. But there were dozens of other crimes that he didn't admit to. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because if you look at other serial killers like uh, Harv the Hammer, Kerrigan, and uh, what was it, John Shawcross or... 
or whatever, whatever his name was, what they would do is they would admit to their crimes in such a way that they would not admit all the details of them. They would make it sound like something else happened that did, right? Um, say, for instance, I think it was the hammer took some girl out and he represented it as she tried to that he was changing a tire and she tried to claim that he had stole money from her purse that she had been there willingly for sex or whatever and so in a fit of rage he had hit her with the hammer and knocked her down right and then he had drove off but the real truth of the matter is is he had like repeatedly raped her and then he had beat her all about the head with this tire iron very viciously almost collapsing her skull and that he had dumped her into this uh, ditch somewhere, but that she hadn't quite died, and she came to at a certain point, crawled out of the ditch, and ended up crawling a mile to a farm where a farmer found her. So he had like misrepresented the 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 type and nature and the viciousness of his attack. He had made it sound like I just hit her once, and it had been multiple times, etc. and so forth. Then you have that throughout all of the serial killers, you have that they misrepresent the severity. Because they think that they'll just give you enough so that they, okay, you know that I killed her. You know she was hit over the head. So I'm only going to tell you just enough to indicate that. And that's the same thing with this torture report. They're just giving you, they're just giving you what you already know. But, but yeah. at the same that's point, we know, or we, we think that we know, we have a real reason to, suspe- um, to suspect that it was far worse uh, leaps and bounds. Yeah, we do. Um, Jeremy Scahill's Dirty Wars um, book and a movie by the same name uh, is based on mainstream reports that have come out between 2002 and this report. Um, there's a horrible description of the death squads that were run by U.S. intelligence in Iraq. Joe, do you remember the name of the guy who was in charge of that? Uh, his surname was Steele. Steele, Robert, David Steele. Robert, Robert Steele. Robert Steele. I, I remember the descriptions of the building he ran. Uh, I think it was from people who'd been there, were either working under him or journalists had been to see him, to interview him in his journalists, office. Yeah. And the hallway walking down, he said... The, no, the, James Steele. James Steele. So this is the U.S. Uh, torture chief, essentially, in, in Iraq. Uh, the journalist describes the hallway as being spattered in blood, some fresh, some cake dried, as he goes into the office to meet this American government employee, essentially, who's the local torture in chief. This is Iraq in the mid two thousands. It wasn't just it was he wasn't just the torture in chief. He was running the death squads mm-hmm. that were blamed at the time on Al Qaeda and all that kind of stuff in Iraq, and that was supposedly the cause of. Um, the civil war right. so in Iraq. The, the, uh, these people were decapitating people en masse, dumping them by the roadside. Yeah. They were blowing up people. Planting bombs all over the place. Basically all of the chaos that has reigned in Iraq and reigned in Iraq after the U.S. invasion or during the U.S. invasion and occupation. Uh, they had a guy there who was basically, he was running the same kind of death squad operation that he had actually run and others had run in, in South American countries uh, in, the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And they just applied the same, you know, they call it the El Salvador option, which is um, basically to, you know, when you have a resistance movement against uh, U.S. interests in the country or U.S. military presence in the country, you set up uh, death squads, essentially, or kind of paramilitary forces, and you go out and um, start killing people indiscriminately and uh, create the appearance of a civil war or actually 
engender a type of civil war. Uh, you know, you, you force it on the on the country, and I mean that's standard operating procedure really for for how you maintain an occupation until you can wear the people out, wear the country out, and the population out uh, through that kind of a war, uh, a bloody uh, war, and then impose your policies and structure the country in the way that you want it to be structured, you know. Speaking of wars without end, there's good news. In two weeks' time, NATO's withdrawing from Afghanistan, maybe, because they're upping the attacks there. string of deadly attacks in Afghanistan as NATO deadline looms. They, the Afghan Taliban, which was supposedly defeated in 2001, killed a Supreme Court official in, in Afghanistan. So we're going to basically see some some kind of maneuver where maybe there's a drawdown of U.S. troops, but they'll be either in the process of deep redeployment, but mm-hmm. they'll end up staying there. Mm-hmm. I was just a story here, just getting back to the U.S. Uh, you know, it's we don't like harping on about how evil <laughs> the U.S. is. Because obviously other places are, are just as bad, or maybe not just as bad, but kind of following in hot pursuit. But there was a report uh, today for, about uh, an execution of a U.S. criminal in Oklahoma uh, about eight months ago in April this year. And it was one of those botched executions um, where a medic tried, you know, the medic who was tasked with executing the, the guy um, attempted to insert an intravenous line in the groin of the prisoner, Clayton Lockett, uh, but he pierced an artery by accident and was sprayed with blood. <clears throat> uh, so the prisoner was then writhing around, clenching his teeth, groaning in agony, and even tried to lift his head off the pillow just minutes before he was pronounced unconscious by doctors before he died of a heart attack 43 minutes later. So, and this is meant to be a, a lethal injection, you know. Uh, so it ended, it ended up as a, a bloody mess. I mean, I mean that that image, and, and I'm not excusing the guy was. I'm assuming he was guilty. He was a rapist and a murderer. But even that just makes it worse. You have, you know, this kind of element within society. You know, the psychopathic element well, in society, and you have uh, then the state basically trying to execute this guy and ending up spraying the executioner in the guy's blood and the prisoner writhing around in agony to the point where he dies of a heart attack rather than the, than the injection. That's just, for me, that's just a perfect picture of, of the, state of, the state of the system in the U.S., you know, and in other places around the world. State of the world, effectively. Yeah, I mean, I can agree. One thing I would probably I, only take issue with is the statement of he was a rapist and a murderer, therefore botched execution is somehow justified. No, I'm not saying it's justified. I'm saying I'm not trying to excuse him, you know? Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, okay, in that situation, if you want to agree with capital punishment, you got to execute him, okay, whatever. But I find it is, yeah, very kind of telling of the kind of incompetent, psychopathic nature of the system that goes around doing these botched executions and uh, calling it justice in some way. I mean, I think that's, that's positively horrific. And there is something sort of ironic about the guy 
who is basically ostensibly killing someone, no matter how he ends up justifying it, for whatever reasons he ends up justifying it, is in an attempt to have a bloodless execution, gets blood all over him. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of irony there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah is kind of interesting. You can't sanitize that kind of stuff, and you can't yeah you can't sanitize the the rotten state effectively of the well, you can't of the say system. You know the psychopathic to do. yeah the psychopathic nature of committing a crime to punish a crime. Mm. You know, I mean, murder is murder. You know, how are you going to say that killing is wrong and then do it yourself? Mm-hmm. You're a moral hypocrite. Yeah. Um. Speaking of other governments who are following the steps of the U.S. on the Spanish front, the Spanish government has um, approved a law where filming the police is illegal now, and the fine goes up to 600,000 euros. Mm -hmm. And they claim that the reason is because filming police is an offense against public safety. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, I mean... At this point, I'm going to wonder when one of these guys come out and says, yeah, listen, um, you can't do this thing that's obviously good because unicorns run fast. Um, yeah, because it's all non sequiturs anyway. I mean, that's the that's the trick of 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 the psychopath. Right. And it's this it goes back to the psychological rule. They say bullshit baffles brains. People just can't handle bullshit. Like if someone keeps spewing totally non sequitorial kind of bullshit at you, eventually you get like this mental transmarginal inhibition and you just say, all right, I give up. I'm not going to argue anymore. Arguing with you is pointless. And that's kind of like what they do. They just they come up with any reason will do. Any reason will do for them. They, they don't want you to film them. So any reason will do. Yeah. Public safety, my ass. In the uh, Ukraine is... Um Going bankrupt? Yeah, uh, still going bankrupt. They've now passed sixty billion dollars of uh, okay. of debt. Yeah, and um, the effectively what the European Union uh, wants Russia to do is to bail out Ukraine and the EU. You know, because uh, by bailing out the Ukraine, <clears throat> they're effectively bailing out the, the EU because um, the EU would be liable, uh, is liable for Ukraine's economic health uh, because they organized a coup earlier this year to, uh, with, primarily with the help of the U.S. State Department, to bring Ukraine into the European kind of orbit of the European family and keep it away from Russia. And now that it's all gone pear-shaped, they're like asking to have the cojones to turn around and demand that uh, Russia essentially be allowed by not engaging in, e- in economic policies that would exacerbate Ukraine's, uh, you know, um, their, their debt, essentially. So it's kind of funny. And, you know, they're actually threatening Russia. I mean, they have the cojones turn around and threaten Russia. Uh, to, don't you even think about walking away from Ukraine after but, we kicked you out? But there, there's another mm-hmm. angle that could be true on that. And that is that I don't imagine that Russia really wants to in any way crash the Ukrainian No, it doesn't. That's what the It Putin's wants to get money from them. Yeah. It wants them to pay their bills. Yeah. What Russia wants is for the EU and America 
to make good on their promises to the Ukraine, mm-hmm. give them whole lots of money so that they can buy Russian gas, and so Russia gets it. Yeah. Russia doesn't want to crash that economy. No. So the EU, by saying, don't crash the economy, when Russia says we didn't intend to, they're going to say, see, they're listening to us. We've still got power. Yeah. You know, it's all just total um, bullshit posturing. Mean, meanwhile, with this with this debt over $60 billion, uh, the Ukrainian defense minister had said that they must double their defense spending to $3 billion right. to deal with uh, the eastern Ukraine, Ukrainian rebels, the yeah. supposed war that's going on there. I mean, the whole thing, is, it's a comedy of farcical errors. You know? Well, th- this gives Russia tremendous leverage mm-hmm. in this position. I think they're going to force through uh, an end to the conflict in eastern Ukraine. It, they're more or less there. They have another ceasefire agreement. The Ukrainians, the, the Kiev junta are still shelling and carrying out actions. But um, I think this situation will force at least the EU to come to terms with the situation in Ukraine and to end the conflict. Um, but at the same time, you have footage emerging this week of uh, trainloads of US APCs, Humvees, tanks rolling through Latvia. Is it just for show or are they actually um, building up an armed force along Russia's border? I think they are. I think they think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not looking good. I mean, right now, they're, they're, it's, it's an amazing figure. There's two, supposedly 232,000 Ukrainian soldiers serving in uh, East Ukraine. Uh, uh. And they say they have to increase that. They have to conscript more men into the army to increase that number to 250,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, Eastern Ukraine has maybe, there's maybe 4 million, 3, 4 million people there. You know, um, I suppose that's... 6 million. And the uh, last thing I heard, they were recruiting it in, at jails. Yeah. Ukrainian jails. They're like, hey, you want to you know, come out of jail and help us shoot some people? So it looks like... It looks like they're um, they're certainly not backing off on the uh, on the plans for war, essentially in Eastern Ukraine, war against Eastern Ukrainian people. So, um, and it could easily flare up. You know, I mean, there seems to be this. We're in this period right now of them rearming and being trained. There's U.S. advisors, quote unquote, coming to uh, effectively train the Ukrainian army, and I'm sure there's all sorts of weapons. As I just said, flowing into Ukraine. Mm. I mean, they're not okay. They can justify it as we need to build up the Ukrainian army in a general sense, just so it has a proper army. But in the context of what's been going on in Eastern Ukraine, it doesn't look very good, you know. It's actually fun, funny that Obama talked this week. I don't have it in English here. Did you hear his speech? About he, what? he talked about the sanctions. And how they had been a, a miscalculation. They thought that by sanctioning Russia, Putin was going to uh, make up his mind about not helping East, Eastern Ukraine, you know. And then said, yeah, so increasing sanctions is probably not going to change Putin's mind. But instead, we're going to send 300,000 million euros or something to in military equipment to Ukraine, to people who are starving. But anyway, it was like a cowardly way of saying our sanction thing completely backfired. Look, look, 
this is what's going to happen, right? You have a bunch of thugs, organized crime type individuals, and just opportunistic psychopaths running the show over there. They're going to send all of that equipment and all that money for the purposes of fighting some war, and these guys are going to take them to a giant sort of chop shop, sell off the tires, sell off all this other stuff to fund themselves just for food. I mean, it's it's just bullshit posturing from their perspective. I mean, from 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 what they're basically doing, it's completely retarded. the The government doesn't have money to pay anyone anything. <clears throat> And it doesn't have a sincere source of revenue anymore. Nobody's really dealing with them. Russia's certainly not buying any of their products anymore. They're not exporting. They can't buy their gas. They're going to freeze over the winter. And all of this sort of like we're going to have a war and this is going to be real and we're going to parade our Humvees and our APCs around is, is nothing more than bullshit posturing because they don't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, money drives war. Yep. And just speaking of money and war, uh, oil it continues to kind of free fall as a result of OPEC, which is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting com- Countries, which is mainly the largely Middle Eastern countries who are oil producers, and it's down below $60 a barrel uh, at this point, and these Middle Eastern countries are saying that they're happy to let it go to $40 a barrel. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, theories out there as to what's actually happening. Uh, we've already, I think, in the last week's show floated the idea that this was uh, an attempt to uh, attack, effectively attack Iran, Venezuela, and um, Russia, countries that are largely or heavily dependent on their oil exports and the money they get from oil exports. But at the same time, there's another idea that it's really a kind of Saudi and the Gulf states um, kind of sticking the knife in or attacking economically or from an oil perspective attacking the US and its plans to become a a, a majority oil uh, exporter or an oil exporter because the US now uh, imports oil. Uh, it uses more than it produces. Uh, so it has plans to do this whole shale oil exploration to, to um, kind of get into that market and become an oil producer, an oil exporter. Um, So there's a theory that the Gulf states are waging this kind of a a war by dropping it below the level, allowing it to fall below the level, um, that it would be profitable or possible, financially possible for the U.S. to engage in any significant um, shale oil exploration and production, you know, because it costs a lot more to produce shale oil than it does uh, to, to, like, the way the Saudis get it out of the out of sand, basically, or out of wells or drills. You know that kind of archetype of the person who is uh, kind of, through mistakes of their own, have like lost their job or lost their pace and their money, and they kind of delude themselves into thinking that they're going to start a home business and it's going to succeed and they're going to become really rich, but of course it doesn't succeed because it turns out that's a little bit more difficult than you think. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what they're doing in a certain sense. I mean, they've basically completely shot themselves in both feet, simultaneously they're completely screwed 
No one takes them seriously anymore. Mm-hmm. Putin has run roughshod over every single one of their threats and has basically said, uh, what you say doesn't matter. We don't care. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue to do what we want. We're going to make all the deals we want. And now they're, now they're here with pretensions that they're going to become a major uh, gas and, and energy supplier uh, to compete with Russia on that scale, which they're never going to compete with Russia on this scale because they simply don't have access to the resources. Mm-hmm. They're going to basically frack the entire country into a gigantic earthquake-prone hole pretending that this is going to work. It's not going to work. Nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to care. And whatever dip they might make in the energy market for the short term is never going to last because they simply don't have the natural resources because that's never been America's strong point. And they shouldn't even be going there. And it's completely <laughs> ridiculous and laughable that they're even trying this BS and this whole forcing the the, the, the oil down to this sort of $40 a barrel. This is very recent and everyone has a really, really big talk, but give this another couple of months and we'll see what really happens and see exactly how happy these OPEC people are with oil at $40 a barrel when it used to be. How much did it used to be at one point? It was $120. $120 a barrel. Yeah, I'm sure they're real happy about that, and I'm sure their wallets are too. It's such BS posturing. Well, my uh, it is attractive to think of it in terms of uh, a U.S. kind of Gulf state plot the, together, you know, with some assurances to try and attack, because it f- attack Russia, right. Iran, and Venezuela, which uh, are the three kind of arch enemies these days of the U.S., because it, it, it fits with their attempts so far, everything they can possibly do to attack Russia, and this would seem to be one way that they could make, uh, make it more painful for the Russians and the, the Russian economy by um, dropping that price at which uh, Russia can sell its oil. Um, but it's you know, it's not so. It's not so simple either. You know, because um, uh, you know, because Russia sells its uh, sells still sells its a lot of its oil in foreign markets in dollars. Gets dollars for its oil, and um, and there's a currency business where the ruble has been falling against the dollar, which kind right. of offsets right. uh, the economic impact. You know, because they're getting dollars and they're they're bringing those dollars back home and converting them into rubles, and they're getting far more rubles than they used to because yeah. so it's you know it's it's, it's kind of complicated in yeah. that sense but I mean yeah, what's, sure. what's amazing a little I mean if you probably people don't think about it much but it's amazing just if you look at the amount of oil consumption I mean the US produces a lot of oil right. and has done they've got yeah. all those rigs down in the Gulf and they're you know in Alaska and all this kind of stuff the US produces something like 10 billion dollars 10 million barrels a day but it consumes over 18, almost 19 right. million barrels of oil a day. Right. And it's the number one consumer of oil. So it only produces 10 and needs almost 19. And um, But that's a country of, what, 300, mil- million. 300, 300 million people or so? 350, but, almost 400 million. No, is it? Yeah, last uh, time I heard it was 350 million. Well, so... China comes in second for oil consumption, right. and China has four times the population, and it uses half or less than half the oil. Mm-hmm. That, so, I mean, it's just the U.S. is this glutton for, you know, for, for this, this energy, basically. It's consuming massive amounts of this energy, you know, and it could, if it scaled back, it could effectively live off its own steam, essentially. It could, it could provide, with the right. oil on its own land, it could provide for all its resources if it wasn't so right. ener- such an energy hog, you know. Uh, but it doesn't ever consider, the government doesn't ever consider scaling back in that way. They simply, they have to make sure that they own and control 
the major oil producing countries in the world to ensure that they're continually kept fed, you know, and uh, I, I can imagine that um, there may have been some kind of assurances, some kind of a backdoor deal done where uh, the U.S. talked to these OPEC states in the, in the Middle East and said, listen, you know, don't uh, limit your output to try and push the price back up. Let the price continue to fall because that's going to hurt Russia and Iran and Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And it, so, But the Saudis and et cetera will say, well, listen, we're getting a lot less money here for for our oil, you know, $120 a barrel is pretty good when it costs us like, you know, probably $10 or something to extract it, you know. Right. We're taking a major cut to do this. What are you giving to us? So, you know, maybe they'll say, well, you know, there's Boeing and Raytheon and stuff. You know, you like jet planes and stuff like that. We can give you, you know, you know, some kind of a trade-off where they'll basically make an economic deal to make it easy for them. That's a so such a good idea. Yeah. Well, it's, but they're desperate, you know. If Following that narrative, if they're they're desperate to try and, screw Russia over and they will do anything and they'll set themselves up for a major fall in the future just for a short term, you know, socket to Russia, you know, or try and get that Russian bear off our back. So we hate it. This we have is nightmares such a about stupid them. idea. This is so, they are so stupid. It is absolutely unbelievable. Okay. First of all, America has doubled its consumption of what it produces. Yeah. It's really going to cut that by half. I really don't think so, and I don't think that they're going to end up like China, which has, as far as I understand, a lot of bike-wielding, rural peasant-type individuals. I really don't see everyone in, let's say, Los Angeles deciding that they're going to start riding a bike to work. I don't really see that happening anytime soon. Even if they were managed to cut it by three-quarters, they'd still be screwed, and they still wouldn't be able to do what they wanted. They'd have to cut it by more than half in order to make it viable. They'd have to cut it down to to one-quarter, of what it is to make it viable for them to do what they're doing. And that's just an absolute insane. They'd have to basically kill, you know, half the population or more of America just to get that down because there's just too many people and they're so used to a lifestyle where they're all driving cars. There's this car culture, these big SUVs in America, the military using gas guzzling. I mean, their their Humvees are the biggest gas guzzlers on Mm -hmm. the face of the planet. So that's not going to happen, right? No, No matter how they slice it, no matter how they trim the fat, they are never going to get to the point where they're an oil-producing state, even though they no. need 10 million barrels, because they're using almost 20 million Well, that's barrels. what they're trying to do. They're trying to find new ways. They're fracking and they're, you know, for gas and they're, and they're shale oil and all this kind of stuff, trying to, but it's extremely expensive to do it that way. And at the same time, I mean, it's just, it's almost like no matter what they do, there's a negative. Exactly. Right? They try and look for the positive, but their positive, as far as they're concerned, is screw our enemies over. Yeah. And they're willing to take a hit because there's always a balancing factor where they'll have to take a hit for, for that uh, advantage or that goal that they're trying to achieve by screwing over another country and the manipulations that they engage in by trying to screw over Russia. But they're willing to do it. And ultimately, it has to. They're going to push themselves too far or overextend themselves in some way, and it's going to... Well, I mean, they already have. Shit. They, they believe their own propaganda that they are the most wealthiest country on the face of the planet. No, they are not. They are the most living in debt. Everybody has the strings to their purse country on the face of the planet. They are not wealthy, mm-hmm. and they cannot take this hit. And I don't think that OPEC can either, personally, but they might be willing to because they're like saying, hey, let's get some jets. I mean, do you think how idiotic the idea of is, hey, we have for the last 100 years been going into this area of the world, slapping everybody about, bombing them, telling them how to do stuff, and we have essentially made them and their religion and their cultural identity 
some sort of disgusting pariah religion on the entire world. We have set it up as the clash of civilizations. We have made them the evil, mustache-twisting, Muslim Islamo-fascists of the world. And now, in order to screw over Russia, what we want to do is give them fighter jets in exchange for them pushing down the price of oil? Yeah. It is so retarded. It's just like, what are these guys going to do with the fighter jets? Yeah. I mean, what? I, seriously, they're going to play golf with them? No, they're going to bomb the living shit out of you. Let's give them a modern air force and military so that they can invade us now. It is so idiotic. Yeah, but, you know, you, you just see it over and over again, you know, that they... They're extremely desperate, and they don't care. You know, at this point, they really don't care. Um, we have a call on the line. Uh, it's Kent from West Virginia. Hi, Kent. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, I've got uh, um, a comment about uh, what may be um, uh, leveraging the Italians to reduce the price of oil. What's emerged yeah. here in the States in the last six months or so is this: these mysterious 28 pages that supposedly implicate the Saudis you know, that they get fingerprints on 9-11. And there's all these former congressmen, Congressman Graham out of Florida, and saying, let's have an investigation of what these 28 pages say. And there's hints that it's, they got the finger, Saudi's fingerprints on 9-11. So I'm thinking that that may be used as a uh, blackmail measure on the Saudis, you know, because... But that's common knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's... That's possible. I mean, Osama bin Laden was a Saudi prince. I mean, yeah. this is like, oh, surprise. We have evidence the Saudis are involved. It's like, yeah, actually, it's already kind of out. Yeah, they've been keeping, yeah. they probably, that, that's how they've, how they've kept Saudi on on side all these years, you know, uh, through, uh, I don't think so. well, since 9-11, you know. It's, po- it's yeah. partly to do it, but they're doing all sorts of dirty deals, you know. Yeah. So that's one thing when this started occurring. That occurred, <laughs> that's what they, you know, they, um, well, I, uh, my opinion, Israel did it, but let the Saudis get their fingerprints on it. You know, the junior partners, and now they're blackmailing. Them. So I think yeah. that would be what's going on there. So, so could, could be, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thanks. Great show. All right, thanks, Kent. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, actually, before he called, I was thinking, you know, maybe they didn't even promise any planes, any jets or whatever. They just have something, or they're promising, you know, we'll keep you in power. But mm-hmm. the truth is that because the oil is bought with... Uh, what do you call it, um, not under the table money, mm. you know, like official money. They have to keep it as low as possible because they're bankrupt. Mm. And they're like, yeah, we'll give you dirty money somewhere else, somehow else, or we'll keep you in power, you know. Yeah, well, there's an implicit threat from the U.S. that, uh, you know, with this ISIS business and their proxy mercenaries, et cetera, that they could, uh, it's understood by Gulf states, they're all quite small, that they could at any point, these rulers could at any point lose uh, their positions, you know, if the U.S. wanted to. You know, the U.S. is a bully on the block type of thing they could. So there's, I, I think there's, I assume there's an implicit or implied threat there and has been there for a long time that nobody's permanent. You know, your position here, you're just a trumped-up kind of king in a, right. in, in, a, in a flowing robe type thing. I mean, we can get another guy who looks just like you to yeah. come in afterwards. Yeah, you know, it's just, this is kind of like the regional governor caliphate kind of idea of the Ottoman Empire that that all of these people who are in charge of these countries, they're really just vassal states yeah. and we could remove them as we like. That is definitely a legitimate theory. I completely subscribe to it and agree with it. But I think that the idea that they're blackmailing the Saudis, hey, your fingerprints are on this, yeah. it, you know, that's kind of like two bank robbers saying, well, if you don't do what I like, I'm going to tell them that you were in the bank vault. And the guy says, yeah, well, you're going to have to tell them how you knew. 
You know, that there's a little bit of a you burn me, yeah. I burn you because yeah. they might play that card slightly, but whether or not they're willing to go all the way, because right now a lot of things have twisted against America. If they have that card, if they play that card, yeah, they got it's it. kind they of a pyrrhic victory. There's a lot of splaining to do. There's a lot of suddenly <laughs> now out the Saudis as being yeah. responsible for 9-11. You know? And we knew about it all along. And then everyone's like, how'd you know? It's like, because they were working with us. And you're just like, oops. Shit. <laughs> Can I take that back? Can I take that back now? So it may be that that is the case, though I highly doubt it. I mean, I do think that the Saudis are uh, under control, but not necessarily as much as people may think. No. They are very They're wealthy. not stupid. They're and, not and, stupid. And they, and they know the nature of the beast, having you know, associated with it for so long. <laughs> and it's the same with uh, Russia here. You know, yeah. An empire can only engage in these scurrilous, underhanded, manipulative tactics for so long before everybody says, oh, we see how you work. Okay, and then they start developing their counter right. plan to it, or at least um, predicting where you're going to go next and have something in place. So it's a very dangerous game, and that's why you get back to the idea of what empires always fall, you know what I mean? Because you can only abuse the world for so much before the world kind of says, okay, you know, we've had enough of this. Well, here's the thing on that. I saw a, <sighs> a, a recorded talk between all of the Arab leaders who got together, Muammar Gaddafi, all the guys from Syria, Iran, Saudi Arabia, they were all there in this giant big room and they were all giving their speeches and Gaddafi got up and he was calling them. He's like, he's like, you're all being retarded. He's like, we're all a bunch of, you know, women, basically. We're all fighting amongst each other. We all hate each other. And the real enemy is America. And we all know and we all fear. And what we fear from America is that they're going to kill us. They're, he, and he said, they're mm. probably going to kill me. They're probably going to kill the guy from Iran, they're probably going to kill the guy from Syria, and that's when you're going to know that it's time for us to get together and fight back against them. And look what ended up happening. They killed Gaddafi, they're trying to get rid of the guy in, in Syria, Assad, Assad. Um, and, you know, obviously now they're pretending to make deals with Iran, but who knows where that's going to go mm -hmm. and who knows how realistic all that is. <laughs> so, I mean, if they played that card... That would give the Saudis a reason not to work with them anymore mm -hmm. because I don't think that they have such an absolute control over the Arab world. I think that it has a lot more to do with internal politics and fighting and that it's a little bit more complicated than just, you know, they have the button to the shock collar and it's going to work no matter how much they press it. Mm -hmm. There's a, just maybe a final note on, on Turkey. We kind of predicted this a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were talking about the Turkish-Russian uh, oil deal where Russia decided to um, drop South Stream, which was going to go to Bulgaria and go uh, put it through Turkey and do an oil deal basically with Erdogan in, in Turkey. We kind of suggested that uh, we should. We said actually a couple of weeks ago we said keep an eye out for you know an upswing or an uptake in unrest in Turkey, kind of of the orange or color revolution variety. And there's a report today that. Um, uh, the Turkish police have raided uh, a Gulen-linked, or Gulen-linked critics of Erdogan. Uh, this guy, um, Fethullah uh, Gulen, is this bizarre. He's a U.S.-based Islamic cleric who has this massive foundation, and he was back 20 years ago. He was, uh, I can't remember who it was in the U.S. State Department. Uh, lobbied for his getting a visa and being allowed to set himself up in the US but he's from Turkey and since then he's been an opponent effectively of any government that has been in power in Turkey so it's kind of like this guy is a US based uh, 
kind of phony okay. out, phony opposition or puppet who's used to kind of kept on the back burner who can be used to stir things up in Turkey and they have these probably they have these in for many countries this mm-hmm. kind of setup for many countries uh, so the, yes the story is the Turkish police made 23 arrests during raids on newspaper and TV stations with close ties to this US based cl- uh, Islamic cleric uh, so that kind of right. I mean, a kind of score or hit for us in the sense that right, yeah. this is the way things work you know what I mean they they when Turkey falls out of favor, Turkey's not playing ball, uh, is siding or sidling up to, uh, cozying up to Russia. The U.S. doesn't like it. And, hey, suddenly you've got uh, unrest and this Gulen guy puts his activists into operation. There's protests in the street. And the the Turkish government... Well, well, it's tried and tested. That's the whole problem. It's worked for so long. But like I said, when you keep doing the same thing over and over again, it depends how long it takes, but it's been going on for decades at this point. And finally, you know, a lot of people are kind of, probably they've probably known before now, but people eventually figure out your your operating kind of procedures here, how you do things, and they're then able to predict them. And in this case... Uh, what the Turkish government has done is just go in and say, yeah, we're not going to allow you to have protests, you in particular. This is what Russia did. Yeah. Russia With Russia, several different Kick legislations, out. kicking out NGOs, calling them to account, doing all this different stuff. And, you know, Putin went and made his deal with Erdogan, and that probably the, the first thing he said is, Watch when this for, comes out, yeah. this is what they're going to do, this is what you need to do. And, I mean, it's this kind of... It's been been outed how they operate, and they really are kind of a one trick pony. Yeah, and they have been for. They a don't very have long any time. more many more ideas because their ideas are based on their, their their policy has always been manipulation and domination and control. Right. Thereby, uh, when you have secured all of your goodies through that process, uh, what are you going to change? If you change anything, if you don't keep doing the same thing in some variation of the same right. policy, you're going to lose. And the last thing, that's a whole problem, the last thing these U.S. empire, uh, stewards of empire, want to do is give up anything. They've amassed this control and power and wealth, right. and if they don't keep going, it's going to slip away. And they don't have another, they don't, they're all out of ideas. You that's know? kind of the problem with psychopathy, because boldness and, and being the first to do something and being you know, willing to go to extraordinary lengths can get you a lot, can build you up a lot. But the only thing that can maintain it is humility. Yeah, That's exactly. basically the end. Because once you have the power, you really can't flaunt it. Otherwise, people are not going to want to live under you. Mm-hmm. Not going to want, I mean, America could have acquired all of that, said, you know what, okay, let's change our tactics here and be yeah. a little bit more humble. But instead, they've just, they flaunt what they do. Yeah. They really flaunt it at this point. I mean, this uh, Victoria Newland character, mm-hmm. that, and that, that tape being released, mm-hmm. even allowing it, even her talking that way about it, was them flaunting their, their arrogant belief that they can do anything, go in there, yeah, we're going to shift around UK, we're going to do this, let the cat right out of the bag. And now they're they're not going to get away with it anymore because everybody knows. Everybody knows now. Good job. Yeah. Even in places where they know they're going, they're really hated. I mean, uh, I think it was Neil Hooper did last week that uh, the Chechnya uh, bombing was probably Western funded or whatever, like as it usually is. And it came out no. this week that yep, it was. And the head of Chechnya, he was funny. He was like, "I will not allow anyone under any mask to." Uh, 
basically to invade her, to support the bandits. Um, I don't care what ID he's got in his pocket or from what embassy he receives compensation. I mm. took on the responsibility of protecting the security of the people and I will do it, even if the whole West and all its minions turn upside down. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Chechnya has been, uh, the war in Chechnya was, you know, known to have been funded by the CIA. I mean, yeah. they, they, they said that one of the generals of the, of the Chechen slash Russian troops who are fighting against these Islamic terrorists said that we were, were fighting against British intelligence in the mountains here. We caught one of them in, in a British uh, military ID on him, you know. So, I mean, uh, that whole thing is, uh, has been known for a long time. It's actually a century old. It goes back a century. Oh. Wow. The Brits have been in the Caspian, in, uh, in Azerbaijan, which... George Palace correctly calls the Republic of BP. Yeah. It's basically their base of operations for the Caspian region. Yeah, you go back 100 years and yeah, you're in the, the, the British Empire doing exactly what the Americans took over, you know. Um, okay, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. We'll kind of run over our time, but uh, thanks to our listeners and to our chatters and to our caller, Kent. We'll be back next week with uh, another show. Until then, have a good one. Thank you, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.